So I've got a question as we begin this morning. Have you ever had your, an experience in your life when you found yourself living through incredibly challenging circumstances? You know, when you had your back up against the wall, when failure was not an option, and in that moment you found yourself thrust together with other people, and immediately it became an all-for-one, one-for-all proposition, and you were committed for better, for worse, in this thing to see it through the, to the end. Have you ever had an experience like that in your life? In October of 1989, um, my bride and I were still newlyweds, and we were living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And in October of 1989, we experienced, along with about 6 million other people, a 6.9 magnitude earthquake. You, you may remember it even if you weren't there because you were just watching the World Series. Well, that was October 1989. And this, this massive earthquake just absolutely devastated our entire region. I mean, bridges collapsed and homes fell to the ground. There were fires everywhere. Many people lost their lives. And it just absolutely, for all of us who lived through it, it was absolutely just a devastating experience. Um, Kim and I, we both, we worked at the local hospital. And so immediately, we, it, was, it was about five o'clock when it happened. Um, and we immediately went into disaster mode. And I can remember as we were helping to, to triage all the people who began flooding into the hospital and, and the aftershocks that just kept rolling through on and on. And, and we worked till well into the night, and it wasn't until late at night um, that we were able to finally go home, and of course with all the power knocked out with flashlights, to discover what damage we had experienced in, in our own home. And for the next week or more, we learned what it was like to live without, without any power, without any running water, um, without stores to go to, without phone service of any kind. For the kids, yeah, believe it or not, without any kind of phone service whatsoever, we just learned how, how to get through all of that. But in the midst of all of that, something really amazing happened. And, and maybe you've had this experience in, in your life. In the middle of that devastation, suddenly people connected in ways like they never had before. I mean, like neighbors that would just, you know, give just little greetings. All of a sudden, we became like, family. And I mean, we would share anything. We would do anything. We would help in any possible way because we were all in this thing together. Same thing at work. People who were just co-workers and it was all business before, suddenly we were connected in life and the mail carrier and the, and the lines and church members, people were just connected because we were one for all, all for one. We were going to get through this thing together. The devastation was terrible, but the connection that happened just naturally, spontaneously was, was absolutely inspiring. Have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever gone through something like that where suddenly without even thinking about it, People were connected because we had to to get through this thing. Maybe you might say, I know exactly what you're talking about because that's what it felt like when we had to dig out of the flood in 67. Or that's what it was like in our unit when we were on deployment every single day that we were over there. Maybe you say that's what it felt like when our team won the state championship back in 93. Maybe somewhere along the way, you've been a part of something like that. Your backs were to the wall. There was some kind of impossible challenge that was before you. And it forced everyone, at least for the moment, 
at least for the time being, to set aside all the differences and pull together. And when you did, the most amazing thing happened. Not only together did you do what needed to be done, but it bonded you together that, in a way that lasts for a lifetime. So we just started this brand new teaching series, Community. Building spiritually significant connections in an era of social distancing. And it seemed to us that this was the perfect time to talk about this. In times when we're having to do church in ways that we've never done it before. In the times when we are socially isolated from each other in ways that we've never been before. We thought it was important to ask the question. What exactly is it relationally that we are trying to build within the church? And just as important, why are we trying to build it? Now, if you were going to boil it all down to one single word in the Bible, I would say that word would have to be fellowship. It's absolutely impossible for you to understand the kind of deep, enduring, spiritual, transformative connections that you have been designed to experience in the body of Christ if you don't understand what the Bible means when it says fellowship. And so by the time we're done this morning, I hope that you do. So let's start in the Bible because that's kind of the point. So if you have your Bible in front of you, including you, sir, in the bathrobe and the fuzzy slippers, please get your Bible in front of you. I'd like to have you turn to Philippians chapter 1. And so let's do this. We'll start by reading this passage. I'm going to read it to you, but it's so important. I want you to see it to yourself. So get Philippians chapter 1 in front of you. We'll read this passage, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll come back and we'll break it all down. All right, you ready to follow along? Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, it begins this way. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. So Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we approach it that way this morning. So I pray that you'd give us minds that would be alert to understand, ears that would be open to hear, hearts that would be open to receive, and hands and feet that would be ready to to go where you're calling us to go and to do what your word is calling us to do. And all God's people said, amen. Now, we're talking about fellowship today. Now, depending on your translation, and I imagine we've got a number here, you might, if you were watching closely, you might say, I'm not even sure that passage even said anything about fellowship. So why exactly are we looking at this? Well, we're going to have to look a little bit deeper. In verse 5, the word there that Paul uses is koinonia. 
And then in verse 7, he uses another form of the same word, both of which, while they can be translated with a number of uh, words, most often are translated fellowship. I thank God every time I remember you, and whenever I pray for you, it is with joy because of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. I I know that you're probably not building up a big vocabulary of Greek words, but if you were going to hold on to two or three, koinonia might not be a bad one to know in general. It's a very important New Testament word. So let's just start here at the very beginning, and I'll just tell you pretty much what I want you to know right now, and then you can decide if you're going to stay with me from there on out. But here's my very best definition when we talk about fellowship or koinonia, what the Bible has in mind. Koinonia means a one-for-all and all-for-one partnership in which we are bound together in the joy of a purposefully shared life. Let me say that one more time. Koinonia means a one-for-all and an all-for-one partnership in which we are bound together in the joy of a purposefully shared life. Now, you probably noticed that the title of the message this morning is Fellowship, More Than a Cup of Coffee, and it's almost necessary to give that disclaimer in church because this is probably the most frequently used reference in the church today for fellowship. Some kind of mix and mingle time, and more often than not, it involves coffee. Um, and, and if it's not about coffee, then it's probably about a potluck. It'll be right after the church. We're going to have food, fun, and fellowship. Or we might be talking about a game night. But today, fellowship, inside and outside the church, the most common usage of that word means some kind of warm and friendly company with someone. If you look at it, that's most often how we talk about fellowship in the church. But that's not what the word originally meant. It was a much stronger idea. This all-for-one, one-for-all partnership in which we are bound together in the joy of a purposefully shared life. So what I'd like to do is break down that definition and from the Bible give the four essential parts that make that definition up. The kind of spiritually significant connections that we are designed for in the image of God that we are called to in the body of Christ. Here's the first part to it. Fellowship means relationships that are deeply committed. In the world of the Bible, koinonia was the most normal word to describe a partnership. Deeply invested, legally bound relationships that required all-in commitment, like business partners are committed to each other. So, for instance, and you see it there on your outline, in Luke chapter 5, James and John are described as being in fellowship as fishermen with Peter. So what does that mean? Does that mean on Monday morning that they would all meet for coffee before they, they went into work? No, that doesn't mean fellowship. What it meant is that they were tied together as business partners. They had pooled their resources. They worked side by side every day. And they might make a million bucks. They might go broke. But for better or for worse, they were in this business venture together. So a thinking person might be asking at this point, so if koinonia basically meant partnership, why don't they just always translate it with the word partnership in the Bible? Why do they bring in fellowship and get us thinking about coffee? Well, here's the reason why. It's as if the Greek and Hebrew isn't confusing enough. Sometimes we have to also deal with the English language that has changed over time. So 500 years ago, when 
they first began translating the Bible into English, a fellow did mean a partner. That was the meaning of the word. In fact, it comes from an old Norse word, theolaga, which literally means, follow me now, one who lays down the money. Theolaga, or fellow, is one who lays down the money. So what's the sense of that? A fellow, someone who was in fellowship, was literally someone who laid down money to invest with you in something. They had skin in the game. Their money was where their mouth was. That's what a fellow was. A fellow was committed and their money proved it. So a business partnership is a fellowship. Like marriage partners are committed to each other. In the world of the Bible, marriage was a common fellowship. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Be careful who you get yoked up with. Make certain they're a believer for what fellowship, koinonia, he says, does light have with darkness. That's how marriage is supposed to be, right? Where we're committed for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. We are in this thing together for the long haul. Here's one other biblical example I want you to think about. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, and again these references are there on your outline, the apostle writes, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that we may so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ our fellowship is with the father so the bible says that fellowship is not just something that we have with each other but it is something that we have with father god himself so let me ask you this question how committed is god to us How committed is God to you? Is that something you take for granted? Or is that something you've thought about it? Because if you're not aware of it, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God is stunningly committed to you. He has laid down on the table unsearchable riches to go all in with you. Not just for this life, but also for the life to come. And if you should ever ask for yourself, I wonder if God's really in this for the long haul. I wonder if his commitment to me with all of my ups and downs and with all of my failures and foibles, I wonder if his commitment to me is ever going to run thin. Then the word of God, his promise in Romans chapter 8 comes to us. For I am convinced That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. The word there means we'll be able to divorce us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think the point he's making there is absolutely nothing could possibly pluck you out of the Father's hand. Once you have put your faith in him, he has pledged himself to you. He has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. He has paid the price. We have received that gift and there's nothing that can ever take us away because we are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And fellowship means the deepest kind of commitment possible. Aren't you glad to know That the kind of relationship you have with God means that he is all in, for better or for worse, whatever it takes, to the very end, kind of committed with you.
Because he's in fellowship with you. Second thing that fellowship means. Fellowship means the kind of lives that are consistently shared. Now, that's the root word of koinonia. It's koinos, and it just means simply common. When people are living in deeply committed relationships, they share a lot of things in common. I have a relationship like that with my wife. We have our bank accounts in common. Our cars are in common. We share a common bedroom. If we're really in a pinch, we share a toothbrush in common. I don't like it, but I'm willing to do it if necessary. We have secrets and dreams in common. We have a past in common. We have a future in common. But whether it's a marriage or whether it's a business partnership or a deep Christian friendship, fellowship is always marked by strong commitment and a sharing of things in common. So specifically from the Bible, what are the kinds of things in the family of God that we can expect to share in Christian fellowship? Well, according to the Bible, fellowship means that we share resources in common. Acts chapter 2 and beginning in verse 42, upon the church's very inception, we are given this description. This is the first description of the first church in its first days. And it says, and they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, same word, koinonia, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common, koinos. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had Need. So one of the earliest descriptions of the earliest church is that if in someone in fellowship had a financial need, the resources of the community were laid down. They laid the money down to help meet that need. Now, holding financial resources in common does not mean that the early Christians were communists. It means they lived in community. Both comes from the word common, but there's a difference in what happens with resources. In communism, private ownership of resources is surrendered for centralized control. In community, private individuals voluntarily share resources they have to help others they are in relationship with in time of need. In the book of Acts, it's clear that Christians retained individual ownership of their property and possessions. What Luke is highlighting was the dramatic, startling level of generosity that they voluntarily shared with one another in the common good because of the unbreakable commitment they had to one another in all of life. Now, next Sunday, when we are gathered together, we'll be taking a special offering as we do every single month an offering, a fund that is dedicated specifically to help meet practical needs. And, and while we use that fund to help anyone who's within our grasp, our first priority are to help people in this church by sharing resources to meet their most practical needs because that is part of fellowship. So yesterday, our Bethany Delivered team home-delivered 43 boxes to families that had groceries and basic supplies to make it through this very difficult time because that is sharing resources in common. We help people to keep the power on when they can't pay the bill 
because that's sharing resources in common. We help people pay for medicine when they can't afford it, school supplies for their kids, transportation to work. And if you are in fellowship at Bethany Bible Church, and if you need help, I hope that you will ask for it. And if you are in Bethany Bible Church and you can give help, I hope that you will, because that is what community looks like. Voluntarily sharing our resources when our brother, sister is in need for the common good. Fellowship means financial resources in common. Fellowship means that we share a life in common. There in Acts chapter 2, it says that they were sharing meals together day by day. And they were in each other's homes, it says. And they gathered in the temple courts and they were devoting themselves to this kind of fellowship. Devoting, that word means they were persistent at it. It even means they practiced it. Sharing life takes practice if you're going to do it. Now, I'm, I'm really glad that you come to these weekly worship services that we have every week. And I pray every single week that you find this to be of spiritual encouragement to you. And for those of you who are here, I hope that you're enjoying the experience of being around these positive people who are at least six feet away from you. I mean, it is good to be around positive people in this way. But even if you show up every single week for these one-hour services... There is no way in this one single hour you can experience the kind of dramatic, enriching community life that the Bible talks about in the New Testament called fellowship. You are simply going to have to invest time with a smaller subset of this congregation for that to happen. I remember one of the best pieces of advice that I got when I was a young father was this. The advice was that quality time is an accident that comes out of quantity time. Quality time with your kids is an accident that comes out of quantity time. Now, if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. Rarely are you able to plan, schedule those golden, unforgettable moments. In fact, as a parent, you may have even had a frustration of trying to plan some perfect life memorable event that absolutely went upside down because the kids just weren't going for it. It's so frustrating. Most often, experiencing those unforgettable quality moments will require consistently showing up for big chunks of together time without any guarantee of anything meaningful happening. But what we discover is that in the midst of this time investment, Sometimes, unpredictably, almost accidentally, these unforgettable, meaningful, significant moments have a way of emerging. Those unplanned moments present themselves because as a parent, we are willing to show up in the life of our child and just invest the time, trusting that God will orchestrate those memorable Parts. Quality time is an accident that comes out of quantity time. Building a family is fellowship. Building Christian community is a fellowship. What that means is you're going to have to show up. You're going to have to plug in. You're going to have to devote yourself, just like the earliest church in the earliest days were doing, and then you're going to have to do it all over again. But out of that common investment in each other's lives, In times you wouldn't always expect and in ways you wouldn't always expect. Unforgettable experiences. I mean, life transformative moments of community will begin to emerge. 
Now, just in these past days, we, we have launched here on campus our adult classes. We have small groups that are meeting in homes. We have Zoom meetups and we have Bible studies. Every one of these is an opportunity in Bethany Bible Church for you to build Christ-centered, spiritually significant life in common. The question I have is, can we help you make a connection like that? Relationally, God has designed you to experience something more, but are you willing to invest enough so that he can make that happen in your life? And what's going to happen when you do start sharing and sharing a life in common as a pattern of living? One of the things you're going to do is you're going to start sharing the ups and downs in common. This is something we see in the Bible. You're going to celebrate each other's victories. You're going to mourn each other's losses. Personally, I like the sharing the up part better. But in any deep, committed, real relationship, isn't that what we're looking for? Are we not looking for people who will know us at our very best? People who've seen us at our very worst? People who know what it's like when we're up on top. They know what it's like when we're down at the very bottom. But they stand with us. They are committed to us either way. Paul writes about this kind of fellowship in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. As he writes, he says, although times are tough and we're going through a lot of trouble right now, I still praise God and I thank him for you. Verse 7, for we are confident about this in you, that just as you fellowship, koinonos, just as you fellowship, share in our suffering, you also fellowship in our comfort as well. Knowing that you are sharing with us, both when we're on the up and when we're on the down, this is a cause for great thanksgiving in my life. And if you've had people like that in your life, they are with me just as much when I'm down as when I am up. You know exactly the kind of gratitude you feel. I'm glad that I've got somebody like that in my life. That's the kind of fellowship that we're trying to build. Fellowship means relationships that are deeply committed, lives that are consistently shared. And thirdly, it means a commitment to a common purpose. So your brothers and sisters in Christ is who you are in partnership with. The second question is, what are you in partnership for? Are we a spiritual preservation society dedicated to the task of holding down the fort until Jesus gets back? Are we a foundation for social betterment? Are we an association for maximizing health, wealth, and personal prosperity? Are we a benevolent and protective order that looks after our own? So you can look around and see who you are bound together with, but how well do you know what we are bound together for? And that's why I like this passage in Philippians chapter 1 in particular and the way it describes Christian fellowship. Look at what it says again down there in verse 5. In verse 5, Paul says, When I pray for you, it's always with joy because of your koinonia, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, in what ways were the Philippian believers in fellowship together with Paul in the gospel? Does that mean that they were sharing resources with him as he, as he took the gospel far and wide? Clearly, that is part of his gratitude if you read the whole book. But at this point in Paul's letters, he's really focusing on God's work in them, right? Look at verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your koinonia, 
your common share in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The gospel. The gospel is this simple, life-changing story that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And as believers in Jesus Christ, we have staked everything on this simple good news message about Jesus. Everything. Nothing else. It is by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, based on the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, by which we are saved. That is our full investment that you and I have laid the money on the table for. And if what I have just said is the truth, then we are saved. And if what I have just said is a lie, we are lost. We have no other backup plan than this gospel. And I have believed in this gospel, Paul says. And you have believed in this gospel, Paul says. And when I think of you and I think of this, I rejoice because of this partnership we have in the gospel. We have bought into it together. Because this same message that we proclaim is the same message that we are trusting as well. Being confident of this, verse 6. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share, same word, in God's grace with me. Being in the fellowship of God's grace and the gospel means that you've got to receive it. Being in the fellowship of God's grace and the gospel means you've got to be willing to give it as well. And for this reason, Paul is moved with joy when he considers the fellowship that he has in common with these believers. And this is why he says, when I pray for you, it's with gratitude. It's with affection. I long to be together with you. And when he prays for them, he says, it is with joy. Fellowship. Not mix and mingle, meet somebody new, coffee time. Fellowship. It means a deep, unbreakable commitment to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It means a life that is shared in common, which means for better or for worse, we are in this thing to the end together. It means God's common purpose in our lives. And fellowship, when you really experience it, it is a source of, of tremendous joy. I remember back to that event in 1989. We went through that week. No water, no power, no television, no phones, no stores were open. But we were bound together. And I mean, it was tough. And we wept together over what was happening in our city. We also worked together to get through it. And I'll tell you what, I remember the night when the lights started going on and we laughed and we shouted and we danced together, those of us who could. We danced together in the streets because we had gotten through it. And there was a kind of joy with people one week before I hadn't even known because we were bound together. And that brings a tremendous sense of joy always. When you experience it. this kind of purpose, this kind of joy, 
This is what you've been designed for. You don't have to wait for some kind of disaster. You don't have to be on some kind of championship team. God has designed you for this. This kind of purpose, this kind of joy, this kind of commitment. Not some watered down one hour a week. Just tune in from the couch version of spirituality. We're talking about being bound together, the kind of partnership that brings joy. So some years back, I had an unforgettable experience with some really good friends. We took a one-day hike up to the top of Mount Whitney and back down again. Now, Mount Whitney in California, 14,505 feet is the highest peak in the lower 48 states. It was, it was incredibly physically challenging, covering 24 miles in, in 14 hours from base camp, 6,500 feet up and 6,500 feet back down again. And on some level, if you just looked at what we did, you'd have every reason to believe it was an absolutely miserable experience. We got up at 2.30 in the morning. It was freezing cold. And not only was it physically grueling, but it was much more of a mental battle than I was anticipating. For one thing, up at 13,000, 14,000 feet, the air starts getting pretty thin and it's hard to concentrate. Sometimes you may get hit with a splitting headache. Some of our guys, they started hallucinating. But the fact is, it was one of the most unforgettable experiences of my life and the relationships we forged through that are absolutely amazing. So to get up to the summit, after climbing 6,000 feet, you have to circle around to the backside of the mountain. And at this point, it's completely bare. There are no trees. There's no vegetation of any kind. Nothing but these big, rugged rocks that you're having to hop along as you hug to the backside of the mountain. And then finally, after a couple of miles, we arrived to one final incline that led up to the summit. Maybe it's a half mile or so to go. And, and, and you can see that up at the top, there's this little hut up there, but there's nothing but this steep incline and these really big, rugged, jagged rocks that you've got to make your way up to get there. And so I can remember as I'm going over these rocks, one to the next to the next, and I was so tired and my legs felt so unsteady that I began doing this kind of internal bargaining with myself. Just, I will keep putting one foot in front of the other. But my deal with myself was this. If I collapse and fall down, I don't have to get back up. So as long as I'll just keep putting one foot, but if I fall down, that is my permission to stop. So we finally get up to the top. It's freezing cold up there. And so me and the friend I had arrived with, we, we, we went into the little hut to try to keep warm and it didn't work very well. After about 30 minutes, we were like, we got to, we got to get out of here. So we start going back down the mountain and it felt so good to be going down. I mean, it's still rugged and steep, but hey, at least we're going down. So we get down the bottom of that half mile incline and we met up with this third friend of ours. And he was making his way up. And he was hurting pretty bad. And he was not thinking completely straight. And, and he asked us, he said, is, is that the top up there? And we said, yeah, that's just top of the hill. And you've made it. And he looked at us. And he looked at that long incline and all those rocks. And he said, you know what? His legs were wobbly. And 
He couldn't think very straight. And he said, you know what? I pretty well have made it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call it good and I'm going to head down with you guys. And we're like, no, 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 no. You, no, you can't stop here. It's just up at the top of that. You just, just push it. You'll make it. You'll be glad you did. He's like, no, I, I think it's about the, about the same. We're like, no, you cannot quit now. You cannot quit here. You've come all this way. You've got to finish. We'll climb it with you. We'll go up there together. Now, it was miserable climbing up the first time. The second time, I climbed up it with joy. And it's not because my legs didn't hurt, because they did. And it's not because it it didn't burn my lungs, because it, it did. But we were going to make it together. And so we made it, all three of us, to the top that afternoon. And we made it back down that mountain before sunset. And I promise you that a simple hamburger and french fries never made for such a glorious dinner. And it was so fun. And we laughed so hard. And we sang and we shared. And we prayed that night. And I'll never forget that experience. And I will never lose the bond that I've got with those guys that we shared together at the summit because we gave everything we had to climb to the top of something taller than we'd ever seen. And when everybody gave everything they had, we made it together. So here's what I was hoping to get across this morning. The kind of community that we are designed for in the body of Christ is something that the Bible calls fellowship. And I don't know what that word has meant to you before. I don't know if that meant a cup of coffee or an occasional potluck. But what fellowship means from the perspective of the Bible is an all-for-one and a one-for-all partnership in which we are bound together in the joy of a purposefully shared life. Don't settle for anything less. This is what we've been designed for. Heavenly Father, this is what your word says. And we know that our lives and our experiences have often measured up short of that. That's true in every single page we read. But we're just asking that somehow, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would change not only us, but our relationships, so that we might look less and less like who we've been, and more and more like who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.